Hi, my name is Akeem, and welcome to I Got a Lot of Problems with You Movies. Now, this is a podcast discovering, you know, lost movie classics or movies I thought were classics when I was a kid that nobody discusses, nobody talks about now. Uh, I was supposed to do this with my friend uh, Killer K, but she has gone AWOL, so I decided to get started. Now, um, the first movie that I was decided that we were going to talk about and I watched last weekend, again, is an amazing movie. It's great. I'm not sure who it's made for, um, and we'll discuss why that is. But it is one of those movies that you're just like, what was happening when you developed this thing? And it's called Dr. Detroit. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Dr. Detroit is a Dan Aykroyd vehicle. And that means somebody sat down and said, hey, Dan Aykroyd, you're a great actor. You are on SNL, and we think you have that sort of charm, and we want to get into business with you. And I, I'm not sure where this place is around Blues Brothers and uh, Dragnet and that sort of thing, uh, but or uh, trading places. But I think in the early 80s, Dan Aykroyd was a pretty hot Hollywood commodity, which is a strange thing to say. Um, but I love Dan Aykroyd. I think he's in a, a lot of great movies and he did a lot of really good stuff. Uh, I'm just not sure that <laughs> Detroit is one of them. But as a kid, um, I watched that movie with wonder. Like, wow, that's amazing. That is uh, one of the best things I have ever seen. And as a 42-year-old man, I cannot say the same. <laughs> Uh, it is an interesting watch. Uh, as I said, I'm not sure um, who it was made for, um, but we'll get into it. Now I'm going to describe the movie and um, talk about it and talk about some of the problems that are going on in this thing. Because uh, those of you who didn't live through the early 80s or the mid 80s or the late 80s or <laughs> most of the 90s or can't remember it um wouldn't be aware of how many problems and problem how problematic some of those movies are and uh there are a lot of problems with goonies and all sorts of uh, other movies that i've watched recently and say oh that's bad raiders of the lost ark has a lot of things going on so does uh, Temple of Doom. But uh, Dr. Detroit is one of those where you're just like, I'm not sure what you are going for there. <laughs> but <laughs> in 2021, you definitely ain't making that film. So let's dive into it. Uh, Dr. Detroit. Now, when I was a kid, I thought Dr. Detroit was set in Detroit. It's called Dr. Detroit. Although uh, I wouldn't know Detroit from a hole in the ground having never been. And I've been a lot of places. Uh, I was pretty sure it was set in Detroit. But no, Dr. Detroit is set in Chicago. And like the movie starts and um, the soundtrack, first of all, is amazing. I think the title songs by uh, Devo of, uh, oh, what's the, what's the name of their big song? Um, Whip It. Whip It fame. And it's got that sort of early 80s power synth 
that was very attractive apparently at the time but uh, i don't know if it ages well although it's got like a funky sort of groove to it um and you see dan Aykroyd in some short shorts like they only made in the 80s (laughs) and uh very tight white tee and at the time his physique was still slim i don't think uh dan Aykroyd would too you know you could fit two of that Dan Aykroyd in the man he is today. Um, but he's uh, power walking, speed walking, which if it looks weird now in the early 80s, looks super weird. And he walks past Howard Hessman of WKRP fame. Not that anybody knows <laughs> what WKRP was, which is a, another lost classic, but that's TV. Um, but uh, Howard Hessman is in a limo with his uh, what I could uh, best describe as his cool non-character black man who says things like come on man and uh, man I can't do that and calls people sucker all the time and that sort of thing which again it is the early 80s, but uh, black men outside of uh, Bill Cosby and uh, Eddie Murphy weren't really characters and stuff. They were just stock pieces to be moved around. And if you could talk, you know, street and say things like jive turkey or dynamite or that sort of thing, that was good enough because... You weren't going to be a protagonist in this thing anyway. Um, you really couldn't have any sort of uh, uh, power or really influence because the the white man in the story was normally going to be the 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 main character, and you were on the sidelines, which is a problem in itself. But this podcast isn't a heavy podcast. We're not going to talk about uh, big social issues on this thing. Um, but I remember thinking, oh, I don't remember, I don't remember what his name is because I don't really think he has a name. <laughs> it might be Clarence or Reggie or something like that. Uh, but I remember thinking uh, of Slick from uh, wrestling about 20 years ago. But Howard Hessman passed him in a limo and with uh, four girls. And it's very cool that they are very clear, excuse me, that they are much cooler than he is. And they're just wild by him. Now there's uh, Howard Hessman owes, I think, 80 grand to the big uh, mob boss in town called Mom. And mom wants her 80 grand and he lives this lavish lifestyle and has a driver. And if you're wondering what does Howard Hessman do for a living, Howard Hessman is a pimp. Now, they never call him a pimp, but he has some ladies of the night working for him and he takes care of the money. And that's what he does now. The four ladies, again, we're going to be back to the problems with this thing. The four ladies uh, cover all the basis of race. So you've got uh, a black woman, you've got an Asian woman 
who puts on one of the most offensive accents that you might ever hear on film, at least in the 80s. Well, probably not. I mean, the 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 accent of Short Round in Temple of Doom and uh, who's the kid in uh, 16 Candles, the Asian kid in 16 Candles. Those are pretty rough, but her accent is pretty bad. Um, you have the Asian lady, you have the black lady who um, ends on, ends up uh, being in a lot of stuff. So you probably recognize her, Lynn Whitfield. Um, I think one of her biggest uh, movie roles was in um, uh, A Thin Line Between Love and Hate. She was also in, I believe she was in Diary of a Mad Black Woman. I believe she was the mom of the main female character in Diary of a Black Woman. Um, sorry, Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Um, Fran Drescher as a clearly, if not actually no, she's definitely Jewish because, and I'll explain why. I know that um, Fran Drescher, but she's not doing that. Uh, Was it the the nanny sort of voice? As it be, yeah, she's using her real voice, and just a really, really gorgeous blonde as well. So anyway, <laughs> I got bogged down there. I'm sorry. Um, so she he owes her eighty grand. Howard Hessman owns mom and mom runs a limo service where <laughs> the men are dressed in red and they're wearing jodhpurs. And anybody who doesn't know what a jodhpur is, one of those, uh, those pants with the big legs, uh, sticking out with the, they look like riding pants. They have the big side things. And he says, well, you know, mom, I would give you the money, but I got a new partner who moved in on me called Dr. Detroit. And he's bad news. And mom sort of lets him walk away with that. He says, okay, well, set me up a meeting with Dr. Detroit. Now, anybody who knows anything about the underworld knows that just because somebody got in your pockets doesn't mean you're getting in my pockets and getting away with it. So he leaves the meeting. He doesn't get beat up. He doesn't get hurt. And... (laughs) He's got to come up with a Dr. Detroit because Dr. Detroit is not a real person. So he's out to dinner at the same place as this really stuck up and uptight uh, professor that Dan Aykroyd's playing uh, is having dinner, an Indian place. And they go ahead and, and, and he calls him over and he decides to set him up as the patsy. So He takes him on the town. And for some reason, this professor, who doesn't know these people, decides to go off with them and have a night on the town. And he shows them the sights of Chicago. And he shows them the sights and the joys of being with these four, four women. Now, during dinner, Aykroyd, he gets invited over by this guy. And Aykroyd says, well, I wonder what that man wants. And I believe he goes, well, he can't be gay. Essentially, he says he can't be gay because with those four beautiful women, which somebody inviting you over to dinner should not make you question their sexuality, nor does it matter. But 
It's just like, wow, why does your mind go there? And whether or not I'm with four beautiful women does not tell you anything at all. But the 80s were a weird time. And this movie just keeps getting weirder. So they take him out and he thinks that he goes back to his life and he thinks everything is, is gravy and everything's fine. That this is a normal thing to have happened. Although all of his life experience tells him that he doesn't meet four beautiful women and some weird older dude in a in a dinner restaurant and have that sort of night, you know, randomly. So he goes back to his uh he goes back to his uh his his job he lives with his parents who run a university that's out of money and needs this funding and he goes back and he's late and he's late for his classes he's a professor of course as i said and um howard hessman's character called smooth walker <laughs> this, this is terrible uh gets his driver to beat him up which is another scene where he's like, man, I can't hurt you, man. I can't do it as you crazy. And Howard Hessman doesn't take the half a second to explain to him because I'm not sure that the black man who's driving him around the city can understand, hey, I need you to put some uh, bruises on me so I can say, hey, Dr. Detroit beat me up. The driver's involved in everything up to that point. But the driver's like, I can't hit you, man. Have you gone crazy? And the driver also can't put two and two together because, you know, he's not that smart. So Howard Hessman goes and says, hey, man, mom, you got to deal with Dr. Detroit because I'm out of here because I don't want to deal with that dude, the bad dude. Now, nobody in the city has seen him or heard of him. Howard Hessman just came up, came up with him in his head and mom lets him go. It's it's an amazing scene, just a concatenation of things that don't make any type of sense. Why would why would she let him go? And that man still owes 80 grand. And Howard Hessman flies out of town and the girls call him. The boys call the, the girls call Squidlow, which is <laughs> again. I say this movie's amazing. The Aykroyd's character's name is Clifford Squidlow. Like, I don't know. Like, this movie might have been made for children, but again, it's about pimps and hoes. So I'm not sure who it's made for because any adult watching this thing would be like, what were they thinking? This is craziness. So uh, they call mom he, mom has one of the girls elect, uh, um, arrested Lynn Whitfield who is a black woman has her arrested by whatever contact she has in the local police and Howard Hessman is gone so they call Squidlow like, I don't understand why the first phone call would be to another guy um, a guy you just met the night before who obviously has no part of that life but they call him because well, they call him for reasons. It's important to get Dan Aykroyd back involved. Uh, and Dan Aykroyd came, comes to rescue her. And there's this amazing scene where he meets a Southern lawyer and the judge is Southern and he dresses up. 
I'm trying to let's say let's say the colonel. He really looks like Boss Hog from <laughs> He really looks like Boss Hog from uh, The Dukes of Hazard. But I'll say the colonel for those of you who have never seen The Dukes of Hazard. He looks like the colonel from the KFC commercials. And he goes in the office and says, "I I'm telling you my my sister hasn't uh, done this and oh, he puts on this southern accent and the southern judge says okay I'll release her because I'm sure this is a mistake or blah 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 and it's ridiculous and then here comes Lynn Whitfield and Lynn Whitfield, and he's like oh that woman's colored and she takes offense but she should um, and obviously I'm not sure why Dan Aykroyd didn't realize he was talking about a, a black woman because he knew her name and he knew which one of the ladies she was. And it's just an amazing scene. And it is ridiculous. So they get away. And at this point, they go back to the house. And the ladies let him know that they're prostitutes. And that's not a judgment thing. That they're prostitutes. And they're the very, very best. And it's an amazing scene to watch. Because he's like, oh, no. Like, what did you think these women were doing? What? Why do you think they hung out with Howard Hessman of all people? The man must have been in his late forties at the time, um, with these women in their early twenties who were just hanging out with him. But maybe in the eighties, people didn't know what pimps were. I don't think so. Because next week we're going to talk about another movie about men who just stumble upon pimping, uh, <laughs> called the called Night Shift. But so Howard Hessman is gone and they're sitting and they're sitting telling Squidlow about this and about their job. And mom comes in. She bursts in with two of her goons, bald headed men who look like the father from Annie and just ridiculous suits. It, it reminds me of a lot of uh, warriors. It's like gangsters dre playing dress up. <laughs> gangsters playing dress up that's what it reminds me of like you would be in the middle of new york city be a gang and be dressed up like baseball players all the time just fucking ridiculous so they burst in and mom has the best line of movies the movie when she says boy i'm gonna enjoy running these bitches <laughs> oh when I talk about setbacks for feminism, oh man, that is just a rough line. Boy, I'm going to enjoy running these bitches. And so Squidlow's like, so mom has now met Squidlow. She knows what he looks like. And he's like, I'll, he does some sort of hand motion like he knew karate. And it is just the laziest thing. And he said, like, I'll set up a meeting with Dr. Detroit. So they set up a meeting for the next night. Now, in the meantime, his family and his father and his mother are running this college. And they have this guy, the donor coming in. And without his donation, they're not going to save the college. And so he go, it's the same night. And he misses the meet to pick up the guy because he's got to go be Dr. Detroit. Now. Here's where it happens. Like, uh, I want to say 106 minutes in, we finally meet Dr. Detroit. Now, there's a dream sequence that is also ridiculous, uh, where his mom's a whore and he's worried about that. And it's 
a bunch of craziness. But we don't meet Dr. Detroit until 53 minutes in. And Dr. Detroit is Dan Aykroyd dressed in a yellow suit jacket. Now bear with me. A red checkered shirt, green slacks, white dress shoes, a white wig like Dr. Brown from uh, Back to the Future, and big sunglasses, a metal gauntlet from a suit of armor on his right hand that just when I say the visual is ridiculous, it's ridiculous. An extremely back accent like, my name is the doctor. And that's how he talks while he's Dr. Detroit. And they meet mom in, he calls it the cemetery, but it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know why they call it the cemetery. Uh, he called, they call it the cemetery, but it is an old car lot. And of course, all her goons are there. And somehow they avoid, they, they all go and they avoid being killed. And he picks up mom with some pinchers, which by the way, if you're going to pick somebody up with some industrial pinchers, know that you're going to crush whatever part of the body that you're picking up because there's no gentleness in those things. And he drops her and she breaks her arm. And the word spreads that he's defeated mom. So, the next night, there's the player's ball. <laughs> the player's ball. And there's also uh, the dinner where they're getting the endowment. Now, he's abandoned the, the, the man who's given them the endowment, and the man got robbed, but he still kept his briefcase with the check. So, Dr. Detroit's got to show up because it's now Dr. Detroit's night. And they have the player's ball. And as Squidlow is walking in in his suit and tux, um, there is the driver. Again, I can't remember his name, and I, and I apologize for that. The driver is there also at the player's ball, and you can hear, ooh, ooh, doctor, ooh, ooh, doctor, ooh, ooh, doctor. Literally, pimps and gangsters in Chicago are hooting for a man that they have never seen or heard of. So, and it was his night. So, they, the dinner is going on over here, and Dr. Detroit shows up. They convince him to show up. And he goes to the player's ball, and he does the m most choreographed dance scene of people who haven't met up and choreographed the dancing I've ever seen. And, of course, uh, I think Dan Aykroyd has limited range. So I don't think he's able to dance that well. So they did what they could do. And in the meantime, in the back, James Brown, who James Brown's amazing and is amazing in the scene, but is really wasted in this thing. Uh, he, he does his thing in the back and they dance and mom shows up. And he gets chased around by mom and her goons, and they end up in a sword fight. Oh, I should back up Dan Aykroyd's, I want to say, an English professor who talks a lot about chivalry. So he ends up in a sword fight um, with mom, and his wig comes off, and he ends up 
beating mom in the sword fight. Now, of course, mom is a, you know, almost 60-year-old woman with a broken arm. And he's the hero of the town because he can defeat her. Because, damn it. White Anglo-Saxon male pride is at stake. And he beat down uh, older, now hobbled, white woman. Make sure she's in her place. And it ends up with a bunch of different uh, characters. And he ends up marrying Fran Drescher. And the reason why I knew she was Jewish, because they had a Jewish ceremony. And they step on the glass, and he's wearing a yarmulke. And that's the film. And then, of course, at the end, they tease uh, a Dr. Detroit 2, which, sadly to say, was never made. Dr. 2, The Wrath of Mom, which is quite probably the best visual of the movie. Now, uh, as I took you on that, on that roller coaster ride of a film, and I, when I say I missed a lot of stuff, I missed a lot of stuff. Um, there are several questions I asked myself and that I thought would be helpful for me to ask my friend Kayla. But since she's not here, I'm going to still ask myself them. Now, the first question is, why? <laughs> Just why? Uh, I think at the time, Dan Aykroyd was just a super hot commodity and they figured they could make money on anything. And I'm pretty sure they did. You know, even if it did moderately, they probably recouped their law, their, their outgoings. Now, the second question I asked myself is, what was I thinking as a child? And I don't know. I think I liked the voices and the dress up and it's a fun little film. Uh, there's a lot of just Dan Aykroyd playing around and being funny. I don't think I ever got the implications uh, that they were prostitutes and being used. Today, he would have called a trafficking charge, you know, um, the way things are. But I, I don't know because I'm sitting through this thing and Dr. Detroit doesn't show up for an hour. And then he, you barely get three scenes with him. He's, he's walking on the street. He fights with mom twice. Uh, did I understand how problematic the film was? <laughs> no, I did not. Uh, I grew up in the 80s. So I remember how um, ethnic people were treated and how we were represented. It's changed a bit. It hasn't changed completely. But I remember how we were represented. So, but that was the norm. You know, America wasn't really tolerant of other people. And people of color weren't really represented super well in any of our media. So uh, did I know it was a problem? No. Little black boy in New York City, I wasn't, I didn't have any idea. I didn't have any clue that there might be some issues with this thing. But there are a whole lot of issues and I barely scratch the surface. But this is the Half Hour Podcast. And we're 27 minutes deep. So um, I can't go through and pinpoint everything that is wrong with this film. Um, am I glad I watched it again as an adult? Yeah, it, it, it brought me back some of those memories and some of that joy. 
and in remembering how much I loved that gauntlet and that hair and that suit and the way he walked like he had had uh, uh, like he had had uh, spinal fusion surgery. It's ridiculous. And here's the thing. Even when he was in the Garber Dr. Detroit, he still looked like Dan Aykroyd. He didn't look like somebody else. He didn't look like he might be a different person. He looked like Dan Aykroyd. So uh, obviously mom and her two henchmen had bad eyesight. Because I would have seen him say, oh, Dan Aykroyd is dressed like that. Or Clifford Squidlow is dressed like that. Now, would I re- recommend you watching it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, uh, It's a fun ride. And as long as you go in with your eyes open and knowing that uh, there's going to be some stuff that make you want to cringe and, you know, go, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. It's watchable. Um, Would I recommend it to a friend? I'd say, yeah. It's a terrible movie. It's not a good movie in any sense of the word. Uh. It's not something that I would go, hey, you got to make sure that you see this thing because it ain't one of those things. But, hey, yeah, if you want a fun little watch and remember how bad the 80s were and how things don't make a lot of sense in a lot of movies, then, yeah, watch it. It's a fun ride. Would I watch it with kids? Definitely not. I mean, I didn't understand it, but. Kids these days might understand that, hey, that guy's a pimp. And he just, I'm not sure I want to teach my kids how to manipulate others. Now, I have a simple rating system. And since we're at the end of this thing, um, I'll rate it for you. Um, It's either, oh, that was great. Eh.